Well, I might invite everyone to start finding your way back to your seats. Before we get into God's word this morning, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us. Each and every one, each and every person here can hear you speak to them by simply picking up your word and reading it. We pray that you will help us to come to your word expecting to hear you. We pray that you, by your spirit, will plant your word deep within us that out of that, there would, great fruit would grow. We pray that you will help us to take to heart the, uh, the message that your word has for us, to take to heart your love for us, demonstrated in your word, your grace, to take to heart the way that you call us to live, the way that you've made us to live, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I realised partway through writing the sermon for this Sunday that I'm um, getting us started in a new series and then I'll be taking leave for three weeks and then we'll be getting back into this series. But I, I hope that'll uh, we'll have a little teaser this week and then give you something to look forward to. Um, very grateful for those who are going to be... Uh, yeah, who've been organising for some people to speak during that time, and uh, yeah, it should be a wonderful time. But for today, we're going to be getting into the letter that Peter wrote to the churches uh, in, in modern-day Turkey, and his, his first letter, 1 Peter, reading from uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Those have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving, receiving the end result of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. That's where we're going to take it up to today, the opening of Peter's letter to these churches. Um, We know that uh, from the end of the letter, Peter was uh, writing this letter from Rome, which puts it somewhere towards the end of his life, uh, somewhere in the years before he was executed in Rome uh, as part of the persecutions that arose there. And he was writing to the churches uh, in this region through modern-day Turkey. Uh, you know, that sort of shows you very quickly where those, those uh, provinces that Peter lists at the start of the letter are. And he'd written this letter and, and sent it with Silas so that it could, you know, he'd, he'd head to Turkey and he'd head to one of these places and they, they'd read it out in the church there. And they might even make a copy of it. And then he'd go off to the next church and, and the, next, the next province and read the letter out in the church there and, and so on and so forth till it had been all through this region uh, that Peter was wanting to talk to. And Peter wrote this letter to a church that was facing an ongoing level of persecution uh, and, and wrestling with you know, the doubts that can come with going through those hard times. And is God with us? And is this the right way? And should we be persevering with this? What sort of persecution were they facing? Were were they being burned at the stake? Were they being fed to the lions at the games? We can sometimes have this picture of, you know, the first 300 years of Christianity of being like wall-to-wall, that kind of persecution. But those sort of extreme outbreaks of violence tended to happen only here or there and only sporadically. Now, there might have been some isolated uh, events of violence that these people were facing. But we get some hints about what they were facing, particularly in the book, uh, in the letter itself. They've had to suffer trials, we read in that passage just there, uh, for a little while now, suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And in verse 2.12, we see... Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So we're dealing with false accusations. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. And so we see that it's, well, evil is a fairly non-specific term, but they're, they're facing, you know, opposition and they're being regularly insulted. If you suffer for what is right in chapter 3, you are blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. They've got slander, maliciously speaking against the Christians. 
from verse 4, 4, they, they are surprised when you don't join them in their reckless and wild living and they heap abuse on you. So abuse because they won't go along with what the prevailing society thinks is good. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should, be not, uh, should not be as a murderer or as a thief or as any other kind of meddler or, or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. All of those together helps to build up a picture of what we're looking at. It's not predominantly acts of violence that the church are facing, but significant discrimination and hatred uh, from the society around them. Uh, you know, possibly resulting in, in things like, you know, difficulty getting work, people, people losing employment, uh, ridicule and, and insults in, in the public spaces, in, um, yeah, that just abuse and mistrust and hatred because these Christians won't go along with what we think is good. They won't uh, endorse our way of life. So I think it's possible that this might be a book that would be good for us to get to know in the years to come. Now, I'm not saying that we're there yet. I, I don't want to, you know, over-magnify the difficulties that we face. We, we may occasionally be insulted. We may occasionally be abused. Uh, we may have people who don't like us because we won't go along with what the prevailing society uh, believes is good. I don't think we're quite facing what this church was facing yet. But it's good, it's good to understand that that's what this letter is about because it helps us to understand what Peter is saying to this church, uh, to these churches throughout uh, these regions of Turkey. The hope that he's trying to give them and the reasons that he's giving them to stand strong despite the ridicule, despite the hurt, despite the abuse, despite all of the problems that they're facing. Peter writes to encourage these believers and to give them hope. And we see this from the very beginning of the letter, uh, from, from the greeting that he said, sends to them. Now, every ancient letter had a greeting like this, where you sort of establish who you are and you establish who the people are that you're writing to. And so we see that. Peter says, I'm, I'm Peter, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, God's chosen, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Peter chooses to use the greeting of the letter to, uh, to get at the heart of the identity of who they are and to help them understand better who they are now that they've become part of the people of God. He sends it to God's elect, to God's chosen. And that sounds exciting, that sounds, you know, prominent, that sounds important. God has chosen us. And Peter's, Peter's using a term that's um, predominantly, to this point, only been used of, of the Jewish people, that God has chosen them. And he's saying to them, 
Now, God, now you have been brought into this great work that God is doing. You have been chosen. You are a part of what God is doing. But then it's followed up immediately after with exiles scattered throughout these regions. That is who you are. You are chosen, but you are also exiles. You might live in Asia or Bithynia or Cappadocia, but that's not your home. That's not where you truly belong. Where you truly belong is with the one who has chosen you. Where you truly belong is in your place within the elect, in the family that God is bringing together under him. And I think so many of us know, I know that um, it seems like just about half the church have moved house recently and in the last five years or so. I've had people heading out to Lobethal, to the, to, to the village there. Uh, I know, Alicia, you've just moved and Ed and Janine have moved back into their old place and We might move from house to house, but whether or not it's home tends to depend much more on the people who are there, doesn't it? Whether something is home is whether the people that we care about, whether the people that we love are there with us. And Peter's bringing that out here, saying this might be the area you live in, but really your home is in the God that's chosen you and the people that he's chosen you with. This one big Trinitarian family we've been brought into, and we see that uh, Peter brings that out in his his, uh, identification of who they are. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ the Son and sprinkled in his blood. There's this one great big family and act of love that's been existed since before all of eternity. And that's what you've been invited into. That's what you've been drawn into. Because of what God has done for you. That he's chosen you. That the spirit is making you to be more like Jesus. That we might be obedient to him. That we might be like him. And that when we are sprinkled with his blood, all of our sins cleansed and washed away because of the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross. And being chosen, that has a huge part of feeling like you belong. I don't know, for some of you it might have been a long time since you were in in like school PE class. when When the two captains get chosen... And then they're choosing their team and they, they choose one and then the other captain chooses another. And if you're, you're the very last one picked, you might not feel like you belong so much. You might not feel like you're wanted so much. But those who are chosen, those who are wanted, they feel like, oh yeah, I'm in. These are my people. I'm happy. This is my place. This is where I belong. God has chosen all of those he's called into this family, all of those who are his elect, even though they might be exiles, even though they might be 
facing this persecution, that doesn't mean God doesn't love them. He's chosen them. And he's done great things for them already through Jesus. Now we can like where we live and we can like our neighbours. But it's good to be reminded that this place, Birdwood or Lobethal or Mount Pleasant, is not our true home. Although we might enjoy it here and we belong here to some extent, Where we truly belong is with God's people. Where we truly belong is with with our Father who has chosen us. That's the only firm belonging. That's the only thing that we can hold on to when everything else might fall apart. When the time might come where all of those neighbours say, we don't like you because you're a Christian. We don't want anything to do with you because you won't endorse the the things that we do. When everything else, when all of the people around us, should they turn against us like they did to the churches that Peter was writing to, there is still a place that we belong, still a home that we can hold on to or look forward to. the one who will love us regardless, the one who holds on to us through it all. And when hard times of persecution arise, it helps to know that we have a place where we belong. And Peter reminds us in Jesus we have that, but we have so much more than that. Jesus doesn't just offer us a sympathetic shoulder to cry on. Peter tells us he offers us a new life, a new birth into a living hope through what he has done for us. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we have a new life. We have a living hope to hold on to no matter what happens. When Jesus came... When Jesus went to that cross, he took on sins that were not his own. As he who was without sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sins upon himself and he paid the price that those sins warranted. He took the wrath of God against those sins upon himself instead of upon the ones who actually committed those sins. So that we, who committed those sins, can be forgiven. So that we can be counted as righteous, not because we are, but because Jesus has made us that way. And his resurrection, that Peter reminds us of here, that that God rose him back to life, defeating death, reminds us and gives us hope that there is a way to eternal life that he has forged for us, for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. We needed a new birth because the Bible tells us we were dead in our sins, not dying and and needed significant medical treatment, but dead. It's already too late for any of that kind of thing. 
But Jesus gives us new life so that if anyone has believed in him, they are a new creation. When we couldn't do anything to save ourselves, Jesus came to save us, to put himself in our place because of his love. And if we believe that, if we put our hope in it, then Peter tells us we have an inheritance promised by Jesus. He's given us a new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, it's clear from the context that being shielded by God's power doesn't mean that they haven't faced trials and persecution. Otherwise, the whole letter doesn't need to exist. But their salvation is shielded through God's power. There is nothing that these people around them can do to take away their salvation, to take away this inheritance that God has for them because they've put their faith in Jesus. We have an inheritance. We have a share in our Father's things. And that's pretty special because our Father owns everything. Not just this creation, but the new creation that is to come. And He's promised us a place in it, a part in it, a share in it. It's kept in heaven for us where it can never be taken. No matter what else they can do to us, they can't take away what God holds secure in heaven. The salvation that we look forward to. Although we might lose a lot for Jesus' sake, that's a real possibility. Even in Australia, there have already been people who have lost jobs over uh, their, their faith and being um, faithful witnesses. We can lose our possessions, we can lose our houses, we can lose our health, we can lose our lives. We might lose a lot for Jesus' sake, but what we gain and cannot lose is far greater. And it's, I mean, this is only a, a small and insignificant example, but anybody who's ever spent any amount of time on Facebook would have seen one of those posts, you know, of, of this great, um, you know, this, this hut in the woods or something. And could you live here without internet uh, for, for a month for a million dollars? And you see people getting into all these debates in the, uh, in the comments about whether it's worth it or trying to find loopholes to make that. But we all know the idea that we can put up with a lot if we know what the end result is, if we know what the purpose of going through those things is. I can tell you now, I'm sorry to say this, Frog, but I really do not enjoy football training. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty gruelling stuff. But, you know, we, we do it because there's a greater purpose involved, well, fitness, but also being better at football so that, you know, hopefully the team does better. We don't just go out there because we enjoy being cold and freezing and all of our muscles hurting, but we know that good comes out of it. And that's the sort of thing that Peter is appealing them to just lift their eyes to here. 
He's encouraging them. You are receiving the end result of your faith. Look, look at what it's all for. And suddenly everything else, bad though it is, it becomes a bit less terrifying when you know why you're going through it. Peter reminds us that whatever we might go through, it's not for nothing. And that's another thing that's important to hold on to in those times where we face trials. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come because, you know, God just wasn't paying attention that day. Is that, is that what Peter tells us? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. He gives us the image, the, the fire that refines and you know, he's using that image of gold being made pure and he's saying, and even gold, that, you know, that can get broken and damaged and you know, can perish. And your faith is even more important than that and God is refining it like that gold through the things that we face so that your faith might be proved true. Not that the way that Peter expresses it, it's not like there was a doubt about that faith being proved true. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Praise, glory, and honor to God for all that He's done. But we also see throughout a lot of the Bible that He graciously shares his glory with us. That the trials and temptations that we are facing now are not worth comparing with the surpassing glory that will be revealed in us. From Romans. Peter encourages us to lift our eyes from our troubles and look to Jesus. Though we haven't seen him, we love him. Peter knows that his audience, like us, never got to meet Jesus, never got to, to ask him questions and walk the road with him and to hear his teachings firsthand. We never got to see him die on the cross. We never got to see him risen from the dead. And yet, we find him in his word. We find him by his spirit. And we learn to trust him, the one who has always been faithful. That though we've never met him, we learn to love Jesus because we realise that he loves us. And it becomes more than just a story and words on a page. But we re when we read these things, we realise the truth of that love that Jesus has for us. And we learn to love him. And Peter encourages us that when we trust Jesus, there is a joy that we can hold on to, even through all the tears. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. A joy that persists through the hard times. 
a joy that doesn't mean we don't face the hard times, but something that we can hold on to regardless. And there is a hope that we can hold on to, the salvation of our souls. Peter calls us to realise just how massive and how powerful that hope is. And he closes off this section by calling us to think of the great prophets. Think of Moses, think of Elijah, think of uh, Isaiah and Daniel. And he reminds us that we have a lot more than they had. Through the Spirit, they got a glimpse of what God would do. Through Jesus, we've seen the full picture. And we've come to see what Jesus has done for us. We have the full hope to hold on to. And in Jesus, we see the pattern of life that we're called to. Concerning your salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Suffering now, glory later. That's what Jesus did. And that's what, that that kind of encapsulates a whole lot of the New Testament. When we look at Acts and we look at the apostles rejoicing as they'd been thrown in jail, uh, rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. When we see Paul imprisoned and shipwrecked and all of the things that happened and he continues to faithfully proclaim God's word, holding on to that real assurance that suffering's only for now, but glory is forever. We see the letters that they write where they encourage people in persecution like the one that we're looking at now, this suffering is only for a time. But the reward is eternal. And we see Revelation where the suffering gets very, very vivid and looks very severe. But it ends with the glory that lasts forever. Now, life is not all bad. I think that's probably fair for us to say here. Even in this broken world, there are things that are good and things that we enjoy. But it's not a pleasure cruise either. And if that's our expectation, that we'll just breeze through life and everything will be easy, we're going to, you know, that's going to get beaten out of us pretty quickly. And so it helps to remember in those times that this is not our home. This is not all that we're working for. This is not all that we hope to have. Things can be hard for a while. But don't forget, you are chosen and you belong to God and to the people that he has called together. Don't forget the inheritance that can never fail, can never be lost or stolen or rust away. Don't forget the Saviour who loved you so much that he gave his life for you, that he bore the wrath of God for you. And don't forget the glory that he has won through the cross and that he calls us to share in. 
as his people. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the words that Peter has given us here. We thank you for his encouragement to the early church facing the persecution and the hatred and the discrimination from their society around them. Lord, should those days arise here, we pray that you might help us to stand strong and put our hope in you. We pray that whatever might happen through the good times and the hard times, that you might help us to keep our eyes on you, to remember that you are where we belong, that this is not our home, that you love us and that in you we have an incredible promise of life forever with the one who made us and loves us. And we thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.